Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is baptized in the Jordan. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. During these last several weeks, been quite a few of them, I imagine that you have worked hard preparing, decorating, celebrating, praying, going to church, going to gatherings, hosting gatherings yourself. Lots of things you've probably been doing. Maybe even you're taking down the decorations. Maybe you already have. Well, there's been a lot of work, yes, involved in this on our part in these high holy days. And God has done his work too. He's done the ultimate thing. The great mystery hidden from all eternity is now revealed for us. Imagine how privileged we are. More privileged even than the people of the Bible, the Old Testament. We are in the era of the revelation of the great mystery, the incarnation. But now what we have to do is to make this event or these events, I should say, the epiphany, baptism of Christ and his birth, make them work for us. You see, what I do at my parish, I tell my people, and I'll tell you as well, we don't celebrate Christmas. We don't celebrate Epiphany. We don't celebrate in our church, the Byzantine, right? We call it Theophany, the baptism of Christ. It can also be called Epiphany. We don't celebrate. Only non-believers or pagans celebrate. Now, I know that sounds like I'm throwing you a curve, but think about it for a moment. We don't celebrate. What we do is we enter into the mystery, the great mystery and we are transformed by it. If we ask ourselves this question, okay, if you celebrated Christmas, if it's sort of past tense, then what was the point of it? Did it matter? Are you any different? Am I any different? Or is the world any different than it was on December 25th or December 24th, now that we're past those days? You see, what I also instruct people to do is to Never speak in the past tense during the season. Like when people ask me, well, Father, how was your Christmas? I say, oh, it's going very well. In other words, present tense. And in fact, I've even challenged people as I'll challenge you. Why don't you contact me? Say like uh, the middle of the summer. Let me pick a date here. Um, how about July 18th? Ask me then, how's your Christmas going, Father? 
And I'll probably say, well, you know, it took a few months, but it's finally really kicked in. Okay, what do I mean by that? And this is very much the spirituality of the Eastern churches. We speak in terms of immersion, of participation in, of revelation, of manifestation, illumination. Notice those are not just singular one-time present events. All those words imply an ongoing dimension, a timelessness. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. In other words, the incarnation has happened. It doesn't roll up as if we put our Christmas decorations away back in the closet or the attic and they roll them out next year. That's not how Christmas works. These events of the action of God entering into our reality are once and for all. They're timeless. And what we do by so-called celebrating them, again, I use it in quotes, because remember, we don't celebrate, we enter into the mystery. What we do is we enter into that mystery, which is present forever, for all time. Once it's happened, it's present for all time. We enter into that in a particularly intense and rich and deep way. But we're always in that mystery, or we should be. We always should be people of the incarnation. It's just that during the so-called Christmas time or time of Epiphany or the Theophany, the baptism of our Lord in the Byzantine church, we enter into that moment in a particularly intense way, a rich and full way, but we're actually always in it. And that's why you can ask me months from now, how is your Christmas going? In other words, translated, how is the mystery of the incarnation, the timeless ongoing mystery of the incarnation going for us in our lives and every minute of it? See, that's the reason for the decorations, the getting together, the foods, the cooking, the cookies, and all that. They're not the end in itself. So much of what we describe or define as Christmas really isn't. It's sort of like the crumbs of a good, tasty loaf of bread. You know, for a good, tasty loaf of bread, even the crumbs are delicious, yes. But is that why you bake the bread so you can eat crumbs? No, you bake the bread, you buy the bread so that you can eat the bread. Yeah, you can might lick the crumbs too, but the crumbs aren't the point. It's something like what we do during these holy days, especially Christmas time, the time of Epiphany. What we tend to do is we tend to eat a lot of the crumbs. Oh yeah, we can enjoy them. They're good. Like I said, they're good. They're tasty. They're part of the bread. Nothing wrong with them. And we eat the crumbs and kind of define that as the bread. We kind of leave the bread. The bread is the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Remember, he was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. So it's all about the bread. In other words, life, not about crumbs. And this life is supposed to be just that, new life in us, renewal. This whole manifestation, this whole renewal, this incarnation happened to renew all creation, especially us. So we need to be renewed by it. And that's what we do when we immerse ourselves in this event, not just celebrate it. What this event is, what this whole season is, and by the way, it is ongoing, and if we look at it in earthly times, it goes really until February, the first week of February. The thing that binds it together is a time of manifestation. It's an epiphanic time. God has revealed himself in the flesh, and from that moment of that birth in Bethlehem until all the way through the time he's presented in the temple, which is the feast we celebrate on February 2nd, all of that is a continuous unfolding, a manifestation of Christ. We have, of course, his circumcision. So he reveals that he submits himself even to his own laws, although he doesn't have to, which means he was fully 
a obedient Jewish boy growing up. He was fully human, and he would do that purposely because he would take on everything that we are in order to raise it all up. He left nothing out, except he did not sin, because he can't. He's Christ. He's God and man. Also, the baptism of Christ, the revelation of the Trinity, and the epiphany, the visit by the three wise men. All these events from Christmas till February are manifestations. They're showing forth in various and sundry ways, holy ways, magnificent, rich ways of this one singular mystery. And that's what we enter into. But we enter into it in a way in which we really have to contemplate it, really have to focus on what has happened and why it matters. So the first thing we look at, and we look at liturgical texts, look at icons or statues, manger scenes, we look at all the imagery, all the art, all the liturgical texts, the music, the liturgical calendar, the scriptures, we look at all of that to immerse ourselves in what it is that this whole period of manifestation is about. First of all, it's about our renewal, not only in our nature, but in our vision, the way we see things. If God has infused himself into his own creation by being born in a cave in Bethlehem, and also by being baptized, you know, he immerses himself in water. Water flows all over him. And if God himself has entered into his own creation, that does something to that creation, just as it does something to our human nature. So, We have now the elevation of all created matter, most particularly the human person. Now, right there, right there, if we see that, that then calls upon us to behave or to live according to that which we see, which we now understand, an elevated creation, an elevated life, the restoration of our original beauty. This is what Christ did. He came to restore the image that Adam had that had been lost. And we say that in the liturgical text. I'll read a couple of liturgical texts here so you get the greater sense of it. During the late night service for the Theophany, which is January 6th in the Byzantine church, it's Theophany meaning manifestation of God, the Trinity, because at Christ's baptism, the Trinity was revealed, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the West, it's the three kings, they call it Epiphany. Same kind of thing, same basic thing, manifestation. So at the Greek compline, the evening service, we pray things like this, the one who clothes himself with light as with a robe, deigned for our sakes to become as we are. Today he is clothed in the streams of the Jordan, even though he has no need to be purified. He refashions us through the cleansing that he receives. What a marvelous wonder. He creates anew without fire and refashions without tearing apart. He grants salvation to those enlightened in him, Christ our God, the Savior of our souls. So see, we have some very dramatic liturgical texts, and we would do these texts according to our ancient chant. And what this is saying is it's talking about this dramatic renewal. It even uses terms like fire and the renewal of everything. So what we have to do is ask ourselves now, how are we being renewed by having experience entered into the Christmas time, the Christmas event? In our liturgical text, we'll say about all that God has done by revealing himself in his incarnation. And then we pose a question, what can we do in return? You see, I imagine most of you function on the horizontal plane. You gave gifts to each other and did wonderful things for each other. But the liturgy poses a question to us, what do we do now? Look vertically, no longer horizontal, 
to just each other. Look vertically now, like the cross, horizontal, vertical bar. Look vertically now to God, because he's the one that did this. We didn't do this. He did this for us. So now what do we do in return? What do we offer in return? We say that the earth offers a cave, the heavens offer an angel. In other words, the whole scene of the incarnational event, what do we offer? And the answer is, we offer our renewed selves, our virtues, instead of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold, frankincense, and myrrh are symbolic for our offering of our virtues, our virtuous renewed self back to God. Since this is a time of giftedness, first and foremost, because God gave the gift of himself to us, so too then do we live by the principle that all of life is about making a free, faithful, full, fruitful gift of ourself to God first, our virtuous self, then to one another. Will we always ask ourselves, what and how can I be a gift of myself to this person in this moment? What do they need me to be? Regardless of what they feel about them, regardless of what they're doing to me, how do I become a gift? I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. When did St. Nicholas begin delivering gifts on Christmas Eve? Well, sadly, by the end of the 18th century and the first part of the 19th century, people more and more forgot why we celebrate Christmas. So one day some folks invited me to deliver gifts on Christmas Eve instead of St. Nicholas Eve in early December. You can imagine my joy, the birthday of Jesus, what an honor! But it was then that they took away my bishop's vestments and dressed me like an elf. Talk about an extreme makeover! That's why on Christmas Eve of 1822, Dr. Clement Moore wrote down what he saw. He said he saw a little old driver so lively and quick I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. Why, you ask, did he have doubts in his mind whether it was St. Nicholas or not? Well, he knew I was a bishop. He was shocked to see me dressed like an elf. But no matter how I'm dressed, my spirit is still the same. I'm filled with the joy that flows from the Christmas proclamation, Christ is born, glorify him. <laughs> I'm Father Anthony Bush, pastor of St. Stanislaus Kostka, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy in Chicago. And you are listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. We're talking about making this great, magnificent season of manifestation, of incarnation, with all of its many dimensions, from the birth of Christ to his circumcision, to the visit of the wise men on Epiphany, to Christ's baptism, and also his presentation at the temple in February. All these things we're talking about are ways that should be transforming us. There's something else that's going to happen during this time I'm going to really urge you to tune into if you can. Go to Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Facebook page, and this will be on Sunday, January 9th, Sunday, January 9th, at about 1 o'clock, and that's Central Time. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be 
doing a custom that is part of our whole immersion into the theophany, the baptism of Christ, where we bless and sanctify water. We actually consecrate water. More than blessing, it's a consecration of water. It happens in our churches. That water stays in the church throughout the year and it's used for blessings and so on. And we even drink from it. But at one o'clock on Sunday, January 9th, we're going to go to Lake Michigan, which is the big lake out here in this region, and we're going to consecrate Lake Michigan. We're actually going to do the formal blessing of that water that we do in the church, and we're actually going to toss a big cross into that water and sanctify the waters of Lake Michigan. And you can watch us do it out there in the cold weather on Sunday, January 9th at 1 o'clock Central Time. We're going to live stream on our Facebook page, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Facebook page. That's Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Facebook page. You can watch that ceremony. In some of the Eastern cultures, they do that. For instance, the Greeks will do that. They'll throw a cross out into the lake, blessing the lake, and they'll have men actually that dive in the water and go after it and retrieve the cross. And some areas, the lake is very, very cold, like in areas like Russia, where they actually have to cut a hole in the lake. They'll stand on the ice and put that cross to the hole that they cut in the ice. But regardless, the cross enters into that water. It's part of the sanctification of water. And that's because since Christ enters into the water, the waters of Jordan, it unites all water on earth. All water now becomes sanctified. And when we consecrate the waters of the Jordan, as we did on Theophany in the Eastern churches, as we consecrate that water in a big elaborate ceremony with magnificent prayers, that water actually becomes mystically the same water of the Jordan River. Now, I've been to the Jordan River, and I saw the very spot where Christ was baptized by John. Yeah, they can actually pretty much pinpoint it. It's amazing. And I look at that water, and I think to myself, this is where he was baptized. This is where the Holy Spirit came upon him, and his father's voice boomed out. At the same time, the water in my church from Lake Michigan that I consecrate on January 6th becomes this exact water that I'm looking at right here in the Holy Lands, the River Jordan. And that happens through the mystical miracle of liturgy. Now, if that sounds strange to you, it shouldn't, because that's what happens with bread and wine at a mass or liturgy. It becomes the very same body and blood of Christ that happened at that very first liturgy, that first mystical supper. In other words, the last supper, when Christ first took bread and wine and said, take, eat, this is my body, drink, this is my blood. That first time like all these other events, like the incarnation, the baptism, and so on, are always once and for all events that we enter into. Every time you attend Mass, you are entering into that one and same original consecration of bread and wine. It's not a new one going over and over again. It's the same one. We just simply enter into it. And so it is with the great consecration of water. Christ's baptism sanctifies the water once and for all, and we enter into that by consecrating the water, whether out in nature, such as this lake or ponds and streams, but also inside of our church, while we put into a special font, a holy water font, and then that's used to drink from and to bless the church and to bless items all year round. We, either way, it is the same Jordan water, and that's a mystical reality it transcends the physical, just as the bread and wine that we receive in the Eucharist is a mystical reality that is the same body and blood of Christ from 2,000 years ago. It's a mystical reality, and those things transcend 
normal physical boundaries. That's the miracle of the sacraments, the miracle of our liturgy. Now, the other aspect that we want to look at is the different figures involved in these events, from Christ's birth to his baptism, the epiphany, his circumcision. And when we look at these figures, what we see in them is our own human drama, but it comes to a certain perfection in them. We see, for instance, in the shepherds, we see in them the one and only posture that we should have all the time, especially if we can really see and know that we're in the presence of this ongoing incarnation. What the shepherds had was wonderment. You even hear that in the carols, the Christmas carols, how they wondered, the wonderment of the shepherds. And that wonderment was because they beheld heaven touching earth. They beheld the invisible God becoming visible and changing everything. And so they were in absolute wonder, awestruck. Now that vision of awe and wonder is how we should see everything and everybody, every event, every person, everything. We should be people of constant awe because we're always seeing God incarnate in these events, in persons, in our lives, even in bad things. Do we see God incarnate acting even in all of the woes or ramifications of this pandemic? Do we see it in politics and things we see in the news that seem to be so dismal? Do we see God? What is God trying to do? How is he present? And of course, do we see it in the beauty of things, in the glory of things, in love, in a little baby, in a beautiful snowfall that's happening right now as I am recording this program? It's gorgeous. Do we see God there? Yes, we ought to. And that should then instill in us this sense, this fundamental sense of going through life in a constant state of wonderment, which by nature then leads to a posture of gratitude. Notice how this is not about our problems, fear, anxiety, anger, disappointment, confusion, so much of which we're all experiencing now. That's right where the devil wants us. He doesn't want us to be people of the incarnation. This is why we enter so deeply into these events of Christ's incarnation through the liturgy, the liturgical text, the long services, the many readings. We just get down, down into it because this then forms our vision. And that vision is one of this wonderment incarnation and therefore of gratitude and worship to God. The devil's not going to want that. So he's going to ramp up, as you probably noticed, he's going to ramp up all that's dismal. Yet, when you look at icons or any scenes of Christ's baptism or of his nativity, you know what you see? You notice what you always see? You always see light amidst darkness. In the Byzantine icon, Christ is in the manger, looks like a sarcophagus, a tomb, because it's foreshadowing his burial in a tomb and his resurrection. He's there in that sarcophagus, in that manger, but it's inside of a black, dark cave. There's this darkness, this blackness around the Christ child in that icon. And the light or that star of Bethlehem is streaming down vertically from the very top of the icon, straight down into the cave, hovering over Christ. So you get this vertical shaft of light that is splitting the darkness, as is the Christ child in the icon. And what is that saying? It's another lesson for us to transform us. It's saying that there is always the light of Christ that splits the darkness. No matter how dark things are, the light of Christ shines in that, that he is the light. And that's supposed to then help us become people of hope and of faith. There is light even now, even in this coronavirus. Have you noticed this Omicron that they're raising so much 
chicane about and propaganda about. This Omicron variant is a much, much milder variant. Yes, it's very catchy, but so is everything this time of year. Flus and viruses and so on, colds, they're very catchy. Let's face it, this is the sick season. Everybody gets sick now, flus and viruses and all that. Well, the COVID through this Omicron variant now is becoming a lot less severe. Yes, it can strike people very severely, and some people can even die from it, yes. We're not ignoring that. But by and large now, the virus is mutating as these things go. It's mutating down into being something basically like a common cold. And we didn't get that excited about that, did we? This is a good thing. This is the light in the darkness. But the darkness is there. They're still trying to create hysteria. They're making extreme lockdowns, demanding vaccinations. Otherwise, you can't even get out of your house practically. This is all darkness. Ignore it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't bow to it. Remain as a person of light, that there is hope and we can see it. The other figures from St. Joseph to the wise men, these figures teach us a couple of things, that we sometimes have to wrestle with a mystery and our faith, things that seem to be greater than we are, as Joseph did. But in the end, they accepted God's will. Whether they understood it fully or not, they accepted God's will. And as we see in the wise men, they did something which we're supposed to emulate and take from this incarnation reality. They lived by making a gift to God. And that's what we are called to do. In every moment, to ask ourselves, how can we be a gift of ourselves to others? Thanks for listening. Continue to have a blessed season of the incarnation. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Hey, this is Doug Keck, EWTN President and Chief Operating Officer. This is Bishop Ferdinand Cherie, Auxiliary Bishop of New Orleans. This is Jerry Usher, co-host of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. Thanks for listening to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!